how are we going to save a planet if we don't love her? And if we've fallen out of connection with her, then we've fallen out of love. And then what we're doing is just all so rational and so... Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is David Barrett. David is principal of Barrett Studio Architects. They're in Boulder, Colorado, a place that's very close to my heart, Colorado, um, and has just a beautiful touch and a fabulous practice. Uh, It's a tight little practice. When I say that, it's five people. And they create some of the most, I suppose, harmonious looking homes that fit within mountain landscapes and well beyond. So, David, thank you for making time to be on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Adrian. This is going to be fun. Oh, yeah. The the woman who introduced us, I said, I listened to a few of the podcasts and he's a kick. I'd like to meet him. (laughs) She's fabulous as well, isn't she, Carrie? She's awesome. Well, let's, let's start with that. Let's start with, tell us a bit, a little bit about your journey and that um, how we actually got connected there with Carrie and you and I, how we got connected. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking this morning that Carrie has introduced me into a number of situations. She's quite the networker and I've known her since she was a, just a little girl. I mean, my daughter Harmony and Carrie and her and Carrie's sisters all grew up together. And so they were the ones running around the house and that. And Carrie loved seeing the drawings that she, you know, some kids, it kind of just passes them by or they, but Carrie definitely resonated with the whole idea of, of drawing and creating. And she took that path and uh, then went on to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo Mm-hmm. She got me up there to speak. I, I got to speak with uh, Bart Prince, a number of interesting architects uh, from the West. And, uh, and so, and she's worked in my studio yeah. on her own now. And uh, she, so you never know the connections and the, uh, the effect you might have on others. Um, and so we've always, our studio has always been a studio where, People come in and say, I love coming here because it makes me taste what you guys do. It's all around our hand drawings and models. And, and there are certain quotes that we have up that. Uh, oh, you're going you're gonna to have to share a couple of those with me. Yeah. I'm a big so one anyway, for those. <laughs> that's uh, somehow ensouling your place with the passions of what you do. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it then speaks to us daily and it speaks to those who come by so well you know she said to me that she wouldn't have done what she does if it hadn't been for being around you and as a young kid she fell in love with this idea that you could draw things that could be built and that was that was the you know I mean you she chose her life path based of for her work which this is way more than work you know this is passion this is I don't know what you do if you don't do this. You've got to choose another thing like it to do it. I and, always call it my path. It's, yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's like yeah. a spiritual path. Um, yeah. And it 
there's an aspect of spirituality to it, literally. It goes that deep. But it, it is also just the kind of thing where you can't travel and not look around and be interested in uh, what has evolved in the place that you, you're in, whether it's nature or whether it's literally civilization and buildings. So it, it, it influences, it can drive our mates crazy sometimes. So it's, <laughs> so I'm married to an architect because I don't think anyone else could put up with uh, our journey, so. I'm not married to an architect and she's like, I, she, I'm the one who drives her crazy, I think. She, <laughs> she's like, I'm like, yeah, but, but just see how that, and she doesn't see how that. And, and then I've got to kind of break it down a bit for her and stuff. I travel a lot with my best friend and um, he's mm. not an architect, but he um, just is a developer actually, like a residential uh -huh. developer and not on mass scale, all on custom scale. And um, he and I just go and, you know, it's like if, if we were traveling together, there'd be all the words that never got spoken. They don't right. need to be spoken. We see it. And then we're right. talking about a nuance. We don't talk about the big bit. We talk about the little bits. And we're exactly. like, oh, wow, look at that. Look at that. That's the joy of that journey. Yeah, it's, it totally it's, is. I always think it's like, um, and it's not always like this, but often, you you know, it's like when you see two dogs that uh, are the same breed. Now, two dogs that aren't the same breed will, you know, walk up to each other, be excited because there's somebody to meet and play with. Two dogs are the same breed, wake their tails twice as hard. Right. and they go into sync together, you know, there's something they recognize, hey, you're one of me, because their exactly. breeds are sort of specific. Um, I always think that this is a bit like that as a journey, you get around these people that they, they, they're looking and seeing similar things. And I've yeah. often thought of that, there's an album, an old album, when record albums were albums, but it was uh, when uh, we went to different schools together, I think it was a uh, Fogelberg and Weisskopf or something. But anyways, yeah, right. the idea of that we went to different schools together, I think is sort of what you're talking about. hundred percent. I love, now there's a quote. We went, <laughs> we, we went to different schools together. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, because it is, that describes it in that way of, um, you know, that mother from another son and all that kind of stuff or whatever it is. Yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. Or son from another mother, whatever. Brother from another mother. Um, <laughs> I'll get it right eventually. Yeah. Uh, so tell me. Going. Yeah. <laughs> Give me some of those quotes that you have around the office, around the studio. Uh, well, I mean, they vary, you know, one of them, I, I, I and I can't quote them verbatim. Yeah, no, of course. But, yeah. but the idea of uh, that people come into our space and, uh, and we dance together. Yeah. And it's, um, there's a certain uh, ability to invite others into a co-creative process where they really feel heard. And, uh, and uh, so it's, it's a quote about that kind of dancing. Yeah. And it says, basically, we're all coming from different places, but we choose dancing versus wars because people can also butt heads easily. You know, egos can, can clash and all. And that's almost uh, choosing war over dance. And so we, we, we choose dance. I love that. That's, that's beautiful because it's co-creative. 
it's co-creative. Yeah. And I think that um, you know, we were talking a bit earlier when when you think of that quote and you go, okay, let's go past just the people. That's the same with the land. Yeah. Either really dancing is. with it or fighting with it. You Right. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the joy of... Ignoring it, missing it. Um, again, the ego is always part of that, isn't it? Somehow, if one walks on a piece of land, walks on the earth, and, and as architects, it's a bit dangerous because we are... We're visionaries. We want to uh, mark our place. We want to uh, create something uh, in that place. And so it could be a beautiful object or it can be a, a god-awful object. And actually, Yeah, there's plenty of them. There's plenty of them. Um, but, it's, uh, but we still do have to hold back our, our kind of ego and yet not leave the creative self at the door either. So I yeah. I found that difficult when I was a young man. Uh, I had become a registered architect. And, uh, and then I started thinking about all the architecture that I was seeing that was overbearing and that. And I quit calling myself an architect. I, I changed it. And this was, this was back 40 years ago yeah. to a, a David Baird environmental designer because I, I, I felt more comfortable with that versus the Howard Rourke statement about the architect. But then I realized later that I also, people wanted something from me too, that as architects, and, and we talked about this before, Adrian, you found you had certain creative gifts. And so we know we have those gifts. And so you gotta be careful that you don't, and maybe it's old Catholic guilt. I'm a recovering Catholic. But, <laughs> You're done but, for life, man. They took you <laughs> once that lot. <laughs> but, the, but the idea that somehow um, I could bring my full creative self uh, to the process and I re could return as calling myself an architect and, and redefine it the way I wanted to define it. And so mm. uh, a lot of our projects, I think something that people pick up on is they're they are poetically inspired by place. And that's a bunch of words. We all want to say that. And, and we don't always successfully create poetry, but that's always the intention. And so bringing yourself to a place and being quiet with it and listening to both the client and their resonance with a place, with the land, and also going deeper into ourselves to say, what is it that I'm feeling about this place? And given the kind of program I have, how do I bring something that is an extension of this place and grows out of it organically and is not just a foreign object that someone saw in a Pinterest uh, uh, page <laughs> and, and wants you to drop it on that site? So it, it's become more difficult, I would say, in the last 15 years when people are loaded up with uh, worldwide images yeah, and therefore um, want you to, they want one of those there instead yeah. of let's, let's bring something forth there. Yeah. And, well, that's uh, a really good point. Bring something forth there. Yeah. That, and so that, that's, that's the intention and the fun of it. And, 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 you know, we used to, as old hippies, we, we had a VW camper, a Westphalia, all-wheel drive version, the Synchro, because yeah. we, we could get that into some gnarly places. And then we would camp on the site in the, in the, in the bus, and we would set up our drawings uh, there, not drafting, but sketching, yeah. hand yeah. 
and gestural drawing, sometimes, you know, drawing it out on the land, um, uh, in the snow at times, carving it into the snow, because you can start to really build a floor plan in the snow. Yeah. Uh, well, a whole lot easier than sticks and rocks and bits <laughs> of leaves all in a line. We all do that. <laughs> yeah, but it's any of that, I think, that, that gets your, your hands dirty, your, your feet on the ground, that everything doesn't get inspired just in the drafting room or the uh, and now bypassing the hand altogether and often yeah. people going right to the computer and God bless them. I think there's probably, they're probably born with a chip that I was not born with, but I have to start with my hands. And I, and that's how I want to work is uh, more gesturally and, and, and sketching and building and then get it into the computer and then build the SketchUp models. And it's amazing. What a great tool. So I don't diss the tool. No. I diss the, the uh, early use of it uh, in, in lieu of bringing the head, heart, and hands to the, to the table first. Um, I'm with you on that. I, um, I, I, I actually do any drafting by hand as well. Yeah. So uh, I, I sit on a drafting table and my okay. team, we don't actually computer draft anything in our office. We wow. send it out. Why well, send those in the back, yeah. Yeah, we do we draw um we draw on drafting boards, which is really old school, and I think possibly more time consuming in some ways because usually, you know, like if you're on a computer, if if you're doing, you know, just small changes to something we very rarely will rub something out. We just take a fresh sheet and yeah. put, it, put it back together because you'll tidy up as you go. You know, there's little bits yeah. and pieces that you discover as you go through again. Um, but the, the interesting thing is, is the people that I have working in the studio with me, there's not one of them that goes a wide far rather be on the computer. They... Right. They all love that. And we all get the computer as well. And we will, you know, model stuff in the computer because there's great value in modeling. Um, and when we get our drafted copies back, you know, then we can open them up in the computer as well and have a little play in the tinker if we want. But in general, I think it's probably me being, I'm like you, I wasn't born with the computer chip. I was... Yeah. Um, my dad's an artist, a fine artist. So uh, he's 92 now, 93 this year. And he um, he's a guy who sketches, draws with his hands, paints with watercolors, uh, acrylics or oils. He's still, he's yeah. still drawing. And, oh, lives, on, lives on his own. Um, lives inspiring. at a beautiful spot at, called Waiheke Island in New Zealand and still puts, um, he has a, an artist studio there. He doesn't have, because of the pandemic, he doesn't have visitors that used to come into his studio. Mm -hmm. So they, it doesn't do that anymore. But um, he exhibits and sells locally, regularly. He's had stuff sold all around the world. Like he's been in, um, well, for many years, he had a bunch of paintings that he did for International Harvester and sitting in their mm -hmm. headquarters, stuff like that. He's um, And so I learned... Everything was, you know, you don't hold a pencil like that. You do it like this and you don't need more than an HB because you can get all the shade and light from an HB and you just need to use pressure and the side of the pencil and all that. So I learned that a, a pencil is like 
this most amazing thing. And the fact that we can scribble on a piece of paper and then refine and refine and refine that scribble. And all of a sudden there's something that can be built. Right. And I used to do this in the clothing trade. I used to go, Oh, I can sit there and I can draw something. And two months later, there's somebody sitting in the beach on it. In that something. Yeah. I, it, when I first ever saw one of my garments in public, I wanted to run up and tell the person and hug them and kiss them. Um, <laughs> I couldn't believe that first somebody had bought something I'd drawn. That was, that was one big like imposter, imposter syndrome thing. Hell, this thing really worked. Yeah. Um, it wasn't my brand. It was somebody else's brand. And then from that point forward, um, getting the sense of the fact that what you actually did really happened, but on yeah. mass it happened. And when I first started drawing houses, I remember like they started out with renovations. And when I drew my first new built house, I remember being somewhat terrified and somewhat overconfident, I think in the same space. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a, it was a great house. Like, it's, it's not far from where I live, this particular one. And I go, what's fascinating with it is, is that, and this is what struck me, a piece of clothing is seasonal, maybe two, maybe three seasons. If it's yeah. something functional, maybe 20 years, you know, like I'll buy a puffer jacket or something from Patagonia. I'll probably have it till the day I die. Sure. But with a house, It'll probably there is a ninety nine percent chance I want it will still be standing when I'm gone. Yeah. And when you drive around a, a space with your kids, you know, like a place with your kids, and you go, "Oh, we'll just go left here because just around here I designed that house over there." A, you realize, big, yeah, big responsibility though. Well, yeah. And that's the part that you know when we were talking about it, it, about the land and and how the thing is. I don't think that I've made any particularly huge mistakes, but certainly there's opportunities to have done it better that you, you get to grow in. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and not having someone, you know, like say for instance, if I'd worked with someone like you, I would have had somebody that was a, a, a mentor that would have shaped my thinking of that far earlier than me having to discover it. Well, that that's one of the things I love about a studio and the environment is the, the co-creation that goes on there within the staff and the, and the consultants and then the, the builders we work with. And when you invite everybody in for the dance and, yeah. and, and then all of a sudden there's all this, everybody gets, the, a, the, we're all better because we, we are not pushing against each other. There's times, yeah, there's pushing. Of course. Like you, you want, yeah. That's part of the dance. There's a little, you know, you're, you're uh, banging into every once in a while with each other. But I, overall, I think that the idea of a studio is one that it should be uh, like the, the A, it should be a place where we learn from each other. And mm. I, I always hire people that are better at aspects of what we do than me. Yeah. I mean, because, uh, and that's not hard to find. <laughs> I was about to say, I was about to say I'd do the same, but that's because they're the easiest people to find. <laughs> But, and, but when you do have the right group working together who really 
like to play together and dance together. It's, it's, uh, it's why I keep doing this. I mean, I'm 73 years old now. And so, Bring it on. Uh, and every, everyone else in the uh, studio is much younger. And, uh, and yet we enjoy, and it's partly the joy of hanging out there in our little clubhouse and having fun. Yeah. Because life is precious. Um, and if we don't know that after what we've been through in the last year or oh, yeah. years, if you're an American, but um, the idea that um, this is not to be taken for granted. So uh, we have a good time in the studio. Chase Jarvis, I don't know whether you've ever heard of Chase Jarvis, but he has a, he's an amazing guy, a photographer, and um, he has a website called Creative Live. He calls it One Precious Life. Yeah. And that resonates with me so much. I go, it's One Precious Life. So if you're not, it's going to be plenty of times you're not going to enjoy all of it. Sure. But it's about being able to create that... Um, joy and love and whatever it is that you're doing enough that you keep that you keep doing it and you keep seeking out how to make it better and better like you know like you say it's like having a clubhouse and right. having that clubhouse and everybody in there's got a common goal but they've all got their, their own thoughts as well right yeah. well it's partly to this you had written to me and said something about you were interested in my uh long uh uh, experience with with sustainability and absolutely sustainability is is a big responsibility but it's also to keep questioning what are we trying to sustain and and it's not just energy it is energy it is you know the climate change is is teaching us a lot of lessons about the things that we have to do differently more effectively more efficiently but if we lose track of also what we are doing and why we're doing it. And so that, that we make life more enjoyable, that, we, that more people are included in a good life. That, uh, so we're in the social responsibility there. Like the Green New Deal, I think one, you know, people criticize the, the Green New Deal. And I've always just looked at it as a statement of interconnected issues that should be dealt with if we are going to sustain a quality of life on the planet that gets to as many people as possible for as long as possible. And so it isn't just energy, it's bringing people together in cities that really work and that we can get from here to there in the city. It's, it's about um, quality of, of schools and uh, how people learn and, and how they go home to a house that really serves them. Mm -hmm. that have to be as big as some of the things that I, I, I wrestle with the big houses and we've done some bigger houses. Uh, mm -hmm. But I often tell them, you know, we're going to probably be the ones trying to lead you to less of square footage and less house of more quality and more beautiful relationship inside, outside. So it lives, lives uh, and flows naturally and, and, and in a way uh, is is easier to maintain. So it's it's those are the things versus just quantity of things, whether that's just looking at BTUs, which we have to look at, or whether it's just looking at the cost of construction. How do we do more affordable things and still do them beautifully? Yeah. We've been working with this idea of of uh, of uh, elegant frugality, we were calling it. 
elegant frugality. How do we do more with it? Goes back to less is more, it goes back to old patterns. Uh, We're not reinventing anything really, we're just going back and remembering. But uh, it's, it's hard because often there's still an attitude now the people who can afford architecture, hiring architects and building something custom, are often they have the means to, to build more. Yeah. And who can tell them they shouldn't have more? So then we get into the whole thing of, well, then let's do this thing cl- as close to net zero and, and the most beautiful fit to the land that we can. And we take that route, but it's, it's not always easy being an environmental architect because uh, they're at odds. That, yeah. Right. Because you are going to alter the environment to, to do it. Yeah. Like the environment is going to be the one that gives um, in, in every aspect. It's right. Uh, yeah. The, the, the big home thing, this is something that, um, that fascinates me and, and, how we've designed some big homes as well. And, you know, sometimes really fit for purpose, you know, big, big families, big Mm -hmm. house, got the means to be able to do it, fit for purpose. And we have a thing that we talk about, which is legacy property, where, um, you know, we have clients who have locked land in so that future generations can't sell it. And, They'll build a big house on there or not necessarily big, but they'll build a house on there that they know isn't going to suit 10 generations or three generations down the track, two generations. But, you know, somewhere in there, they want that house to maintain. So they put it in trust and stuff so it can be maintained as a holiday home for their whole family. And it will be on land and then there'll be, you know, farmland and stuff like that. So there'll be farm management area as well that you know for for somebody who's going to run that and they set it up as like this legacy thing so they're they're setting this long stream legacy dream of theirs of what they leave behind and how they leave it behind and um that's they're, they're very much realists as well and yeah fit for purpose i think is a really big point of size and yeah, I mean, I grew up in a bedroom that was 10, 10 square foot by 10 square foot, you know, 10 by 10. Um, yeah. I, I think my room was about that size too, Abe, yeah. in, in Pittsburgh. Well, my my kid's bed would probably struggle to fit in a 10 by 10. You know, my, my kids, I've got two girls and they both have, you know, what we call a queen size bed, which for you is, I'm not quite sure, but it's way smaller than a super king or something. But sure. it's bigger than a double bed and... Um, they have, you know, a closet right along one wall. I had a closet that was probably, I reckon, maybe about two foot by maybe three foot. There was a door that went into it, and then yeah. there was a there was a rail. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same closet. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and I had one window, and you could climb well, out it. Thank God you could climb out it. Expectations <laughs> have definitely skyrocketed and in so many cases. And, uh, and at times, you know, I guess at times I felt I want to do projects that are more important. And, and, and in a way, that's what I'm working toward in the future is doing projects of meaning for more people, broader, broader spectrum. Oh, okay. Tell me about that. Well, we've been designing neighborhoods and, uh, and, uh, so it, 
it's somewhat uh, an extension of new urbanism, yeah. but, uh, but I don't like any isms. And so I, <laughs> if, if, uh, if it's too um, prescribed, it has to be this, this, and this. I don't like it, but I have learned a lot from new urbanism in terms of the patterns and, the, and things that uh, just work, that, yeah. that live better. Uh, yeah. on, on a collective basis. And, and then right now we're doing a, an arts facility, a place for making. So making three-dimensional arts for people in the community where they can't afford the larger equipment it takes to do certain art forms, say uh-huh. having pottery wheels and, and power tools in the wood shop and, uh, and forging for metal. And so it's, it's really uh-huh. a a wonderful facility that we've designed for the city of Boulder. And uh, tell, tell and me that, how we, when will it be built and how do we look it up? Well, it's, it's on our website as a, I think in progress, uh, uh-huh. it's the studio arts project. And it also is trying to be as close to net zero as possible. So the building form is a, a whole series of uplifted uh, roof planes, uh, like the old sawtooth roof. So the, like old warehouses. I was about done. to say like warehouses. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Industrials. Wonderful daylight. Cause it has all North light repeating very open underneath North light, but every South slope of, of the lifted plane is, uh, is where our, our solar collectors. Yeah. Yeah. Photo of, yeah. So yeah. We're doing, and we have ground source heat pumps doing all the right things. But we also find that that the kilns we have not solved. You use a lot of energy in a kiln to, uh, to fire clay, and so uh, we we have some wood firing, but most of it's gas. And there's some electric units yeah. too. But have you ever spent any? We just got a little pause. Then I, I got you back. Sorry, it it um it did a little thing there. I'll just put a little timer note. Um, to edit. Um, have you ever been to Singapore? Ah, lost it. Yeah. Oh, we're back. Okay. okay. It's, it's my internet connection that went unstable then. Um, have you ever been to Singapore? No. My so wife has been to Singapore. I've not been there. So Singapore burns and imports garbage. Hmm. And they are almost net zero, I think, on the electricity production with their furnaces that burn the garbage um, of them and other people. And um, they've they've got some, I don't know enough about it to be telling you this, but they've got some super-duper system that creates the energy without the waste and everything else. And it could be, yeah, maybe there's a solution in something like that that uh, fires the kilns, you know, like there's, yeah, as I say, I should do more research into that. It'd be interesting. But, yeah, there is, I've got uh, a a project I'm working on on a farm and he's putting a forge in and Uh um, for his own manufacturing, or when I say manufacturing, for his own design Mm. uh, because he's an engineer, and um, he wants that to become a play space for other locals, you know, and they, they, they overproduce on their farm. And so they just have a, a box at the end of the, at the farm gate, basically. 
and it's a swap box. Just great. You take great. it, they take it. You know, whatever. You leave something if you have something. If not, help yourself. It's, yeah. Um, and that's yeah. beautiful. That's that's when you came come full circle back to social responsibility. Right. Of and and you know what you were saying with there with in having a forge, having a pottery place. So people are actually it's attracting people who want to be able to do something with their hands. With their hands. And, and that was really motivated partly by what's happening in Boulder. Uh, Google has just uh, built a, a large uh, office complex here. And there's a lot of wonderful high-tech companies with a lot of young people working there, but they're kind of in their heads all day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that we could also offer and this would be for children as well, but for these workers that they can uh, leave that headspace and come and get their hands dirty in clay. And they can, uh, you know, uh, get a relationship with wood in a way that is is so different than what they're doing in their regular Google job. And so um, I think part of this thing of what do we sustain, the question of what, what is it that we're trying to sustain? One of the things is, I think, our humanness. And that, um, that more and more, it's, it's hard to be fully human. Uh, and so the, it's something to think about. And um, putting people in relationship, whether in buildings with natural light. I think one of your interviews was talking about a concept that I've loved and I think applies as biophilia. Yes. That part of our humanness can be re- reignited by being in more relationship with the natural world, to get your hands dirty, to lay on the ground, to sleep on the ground, to breathe air, to th- those things, I mean, are going to be lost. And, and then who are we if we no longer are in more contact and, and more relationship with reality, like well, real reality. It certainly <laughs> creates a, a shift in human um, uh, understanding of their planet or a human, a human yeah. responsibility. You know, you know when, you, when you go somewhere in, the, in big cities and people that have grown up and lived in the city and all the rest, they've still got parks and stuff like that. Um, right. But the difference between their, their mental state, if that's your environment, and then putting them in, say, somewhere like where you are in Colorado or up in the Rockies. You know, I spent um, that time up in Steamboat Springs and mm-hmm. all around there and putting them into that environment. And people, people choose that environment often for a holiday or the beach or something mm-hmm. like that. That's sure. a holiday. And for some of us, we're lucky enough to live in the holiday. Um, True. And I think that we, we, the people who are lucky enough to live in the holiday spot can very quickly take it for granted. But something that I saw that happened amazingly was during the pandemic, like where I am particularly, um, there was such a, a thing where we'd be in the surf and uh, we would say to each other in the surf, you know, people you'd never met before, how lucky are we? Like we're, we're still, we're living in paradise. Right. 
And even if we've got, you know, no coffee shop, who gives a rat? We can make coffee at home. We're, right. s- we're still in paradise. We've got sunshine. We've got like fresh air. We've got water. We've got the sea. We've got sand and Those we can get it. Yeah, coming. that's it. And just, you know, like I think of friends of mine who live in the mountains and they've said the same thing to me. Sure. They've said this, exactly the same thing. How blessed are we? to be at so close to nature. Right. Yeah, I, I remember reading somebody yeah. saying, you know, get out every day and walk with bare feet to, to um, shift your energy, uh, to shift the magnetic, I think it was. In yeah, you. I think it's called earthing. Yeah, earthing, yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah. try to do some of that every day. I love being outside in my bare feet. There, um, yeah. You know, I've wondered about the whole idea of love that way and, that if oh, and love being also, you could just say connection to be yes. in connection would be also the same thing. But h- how are we going to save a planet if we don't love her? And if we've fallen out of connection with her, then we've fallen out of love. And then what we're doing is just all so rational. And so and I don't know if that's ever going to move us. I mean, we'll get moved when, when, oh. the, when the crop hits the fan. Yeah. And we, we do pay attention that way when things get so bad, we know we have to change, but we need to be out front of that. And I think to me, one of the jobs of designers is to, to help put people more in connection again um, so mm-hmm. that, that uh, they it, feel something that they want to then pay attention to and participate in change to make it uh, sustain life. So, I, I, I'm that was you. a long way around the barn. No, no, I'm, I'm with you though. I, out, I, I think that's a, when you come back to social responsibility, if we've got the social responsibility to design things, then we have got, we're, we're gonna alter, especially in architecture, um, we're gonna actually alter a space for, for a long time, you know, not right. necessarily forever, but for a long time. And a long time in the scheme of our lives. So our lives might be, you know, I'm planning on living to 120, so I'm just coming up to middle age. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. I I figure, you know, like, but that's the kind of thing. We're we're leaving these footprints that um, aren't touching the earth lightly. Right. And the more lightly we can leave those footprints and the more people that we can make sure um, are engaged and feel that, uh, that need for it to be, are nurtured you know not yeah. just not just don't hurt it nurture it how do we how do we yeah. play harder with play harder with it so that we're more in tune with it well that surfing must be a perfect uh, uh metaphor of yeah. sort of, uh, <laughs> talk about dancing with her i mean getting up on a wave i i've never been able to do it adrian so i I, but I've skied enough that it yeah, was that same that you, experience. I was about to say, it's the master and all you're doing is, is taking part. Yeah. <laughs> oh, where, where do you ski? Where, where's, where do you love to well, ski? My knees aren't skiing anymore. And so I've, you know, I've, I still get out on my skinny skis and, uh, and I'll, I'll just do some gliding in that. But nice. So I, 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 my skiing days are over. I'm afraid, but I, you know, my knees went bad, I think, uh, for, from overuse yeah. when I was young and, uh, probably underuse now. So I, <laughs> I, really, 
I wish I was still skiing, um, but I still walk a lot. I, I love to hike and, uh, and, and bike. So I have oh, I a bike around town. And uh, that's one of the nice things about Boulder, Colorado. It's got a great bike system. So I don't have to jump in a car all the time. I get on my bike. And that's, that's nice. That, when I'm in one plane with my knee, I'm good. Yeah, right. So um, that's uh, that's that's my uh, Arca geezer tail. Uh, my knees my knees are bad. Well, I I've had a knee replacement already in my life. Um, oh from, boy! Uh, yeah, from just collateral damage over time, sure. like just just from playing hard, and I I, I damaged it bike riding um, back when I was like thirteen years old. Uh huh. And. Um, I finally had it uh, replaced about three years ago, and uh, it's it's yeah, it's got some a few limitations. But I I made a little pact uh, two years ago to ski every year until I can't now. Oh, good. That's yeah, it. Well, and and I've got my youngest daughter is um, eleven, and so uh, I want to ski. You know, that's one of the things is to ski with both my girls. Yeah. And they don't know the love of skiing because we live in the tropical, you know. Um, yeah. But to give them a, a life, part of their life where they experience the mountains. Oh, and yeah. That would be. That to me is like, yeah, that'd be like chopping off a leg if you didn't give them that. That would be too too much, too yeah. much. It's um, There's something magical that happens in the mountains, uh, and not for everybody, I'm sure. It certainly happens for me. Um and it's uh, I'm so heavily connected to the feeling that it gives me, and so I go. It, there's possibly a part of me and my kids, um, and so if there is, let's discover it. That's one of those things. Right. Well, there is something about um, mountains, hills, and and it can be bluffs overlooking the sea. Yeah. Uh, what you described when we talked earlier about where you grew up, where you were looking out over. A, yeah. a broad landscape but i often see that in in when we're trying to design on sides of mountains and sides of hills there's a sense of reach that is just so wonderful that it's it's always there's always possibility because you're looking beyond you're looking out yeah and uh it's often without terminus um yeah. and so it's really uh that sense of reach is something we've really tried to bring to, to projects that are in the mountains uh, as something that lives effectively every day, that there's something you gain from that every day. And uh, yeah. we often talk to clients about that. The things that we hope to bring them are things that will make their life more enjoyable every day. It's not, uh, it's not a one trick pony. Um, quality of life can do that. Yes. Certain rooms that, that respond to morning light and, and are part of your process of awakening. And then, and then parts that will watch the sun go down. And uh, so the home as a sun tracker has, you know, when I started the business 40 some years ago, I called it sunflower after the heliotropic nature of the. Yeah. Where well, it comes up and moves with the sun yeah. every day. Yeah. I'm with you. I was just a solar hippie, you know, that was back in the, days <laughs> of the, the first oil embargoes and things. And my whole feeling moving to Colorado was why don't we take more advantage 
of our relationship to the sun. It's free energy. It's, it's delightful, literally delight. Um, yeah. I mean, why, why do, and, and so we really got into passive solar design and, and quality of light, but then over time, it's just woven in with everything else. And it's not something done separately, but every building should be a solar building in some way. Uh, yeah, I mean, we all live with the sun. Uh, Kundig, you talked to recently, yeah. those, those wonderful houses uh, there where they can overglaze things because there's so little light that yeah. you, you can saturate yourself with quantity of the lens versus here we have to be careful of not over overheating or overlighting. Seriously, it's about here too. Light. Yeah. We need to balance light, diffusing light. Yeah. And so to me, that's such a part of architecture is light and space. And, uh, and so the idea of enlivening, keeping light alive, sharing light through buildings, making sure there's light from different sides so that you're not backlighting. Mm-hmm. Light is, is magic. And so uh, it's uh, something I think if we've done anything consistently well, and it's not that we're doing anything like brain surgery, but being aware and, and be, being purposeful with, with light, with daylight and, yeah. and artificial light too. Now, of course, yeah. with that, with LEDs, there's a whole nother realm of playing with light that we can do things we couldn't do in the past um, and feel good about it too, because it takes so little energy. To- yeah, it takes so little energy. It leads me though to also what we, um, when we look at, I'm, I'm 100% with you with this thing of light. In fact, I think it was Jeffrey Dungan said to me, really all we do is create a whole lot of boxes that we try to get light into every part of it that's that's what we do you know and i'm like yeah that's so true beautiful boxes but yeah that's 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 part of the the mission and the discipline of what is necessary to do it well um and then it takes me also like with led light where we don't know everything about it yet but uh, we know that it has that can have an effect over your circadian rhythms. And then you go, so then Mm -hmm. I've got this other side of me when we go, there's sustainability. And you did it before when you were talking to me, you were saying about this human, making it humanist. And then the the interwovenness of wellness into, Mm -hmm. into the architectural space. So the connection with, you know, the biophilic design, so that the connection of indoor and outdoor, even um, the the parts of biomimicry where um, people emotionally or subconsciously connect with something because of its shape or because of the way it emulates something from nature. Um, You know, like using, I always think this is a bit of a laugh, you know, in the olden days, they used to call them pole homes and they were like made out of telegraph poles. Sure. And um, of I course, did in Florida years ago. Yeah. yeah. And and I go, I look at, for instance, Tom Kundig's work and there's a place that he's done in uh, Puerto Rico or somewhere and he's got like a tree going through it. And I go, and and believe me, it was designed long beyond, long past the, the, the date of pole houses. Uh-huh. And sure. I go, um, a friend of mine just built a, a couple of years ago, built a structure by his pool and it's like a cabana really, but it uh-huh. uses um, 
three full trees, basically three full tree pieces. The rest of it's quite modern, but the, the first piece of it, and just in that alone, the organicness and the, the feel of it and the texture and the fact that it's nature and it does it nature's way brings a level of um, connection and joy and in doing that, then that starts the, the wellness journey for each person. And then if you can take a collection of boxes and stick light in them, and like you were just saying, whether they're lit, backlit, forward lit, and yeah. then put fresh air through them. Right, right. Let it breathe. Man, you're yeah, in heaven. There. Yeah. 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 Tell I me mean, this. When you go to a site, so somebody rings you up and says, you know, um, we'd like to talk to you about doing something and you don't have the micro bus anymore by the sounds of things. Um, but what, well, what the happens? Element, but the element's not nearly the same as the micro bus. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good, but not the same. So what, what happens now? What's your process when you go, um, somebody says, come up, we're up on the mountains here and or in the foothills or something. Um, we want something. What do you do? What, what, what happens? What's the... Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's pretty obvious that we, we first go to the site with, with the people. If this is... Now, we're talking single family houses here. Sure. I mean, uh, we do different kind of buildings and we might be going there with a faculty. And mm -hmm. uh, we, uh, we'll have a, a kind of a charrette at times with multi-users on on some of these but in any case we go there and we we go with the people and see what have they learned already about their site what 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 drew them there in the first place what is the you know what's the sense of place and the spirit of place that they've already started to develop in a way they're already falling in love with a place uh, um, and so we try to get first their response and at the same time, we're we're feeling the place too. We're we're present with them. So it's it's try it's very boulderish. You know, the old hippie Boulder is very much uh, a touchy feely place. But I have always believed in this idea of deep listening. So when we go there, we try to listen as deeply as we can, not just the obvious, but opening our senses up with them to where we are and what's going on around us. And then eventually I like to return to the site and that's where the micro bus often came in by myself where I can then be quiet, be still. And then I'm not, I'm not trying to interpret through someone else. I'm all, I've already got that going because we've been there with our clients and with the users. But there's also something about nature is a jealous lover. And to really be there alone together, you learn more. She, she tells you more. And, uh, and so that's what I like is in that time, I often, sometimes it's I'm writing, I'm journaling kind of. I, mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've written fictions there about the house in 10 years and now I'm visiting there. And what, what, what is it saying? And so sometimes it's by a narrative I'll write. Sometimes it's watercolor. Sometimes it's sketches. Sometimes it's drawing it on the land. I've made models, as we talked, yeah. making models just of the things that are on the site, the rocks and the, and the branches and that. And you start to 
create gesture that you're seeing would grow out of this land. So it's an organic process of, of trying to bring initial form from the listening that you're, you're having on that site. Now it doesn't go into deep program in that, at that stage. It's really about just manifesting an extension of that place, imagining form. And so you're shifting scale, whether yeah. you're, uh, so my model is not the site itself. My model is just the gesture that I can imagine kind of growing out of this place. Yeah. And, uh, and so often it's, I like spaces that embrace outdoors. So often there, there are L's or, or arcs or something that wraps outdoor space. Not always, but there's something about having outdoor space that we're not always in the object looking out at everything, that sense of reach. There's place for that. But often too, it's how do we, how do we embrace space to create the outdoor room that yeah. I can move inside, outside and still be in yeah. an area that is claimed as, as, as habitat. Yeah. It's not nature in its pure sense. It's, it's a, it's the threshold. Of, it, uh, it's of, the blend. It's the distance of the threshold. It's not one step. It's a journey. Yeah. And yeah. That, that journey of, uh, through that threshold where you go from the, the, the wide open spaces into your cave or your more secure spaces and then, you know, ultimately into your more intimate spaces where you can kind of enclose around you and yeah. you, you remove yourself from the totally from the elements but not totally from the um, environment. Like that's the, yeah. that's the genius. Yeah. I love your looking through your work and, and seeing, I want to come and visit some when they let oh, us get on the plane. Oh, we, we'll be there. Um, right. <laughs> um, yeah. Looking at that and that beautiful blend of being indoor and outdoor, but also at, at the connection fades as you go you know like it, it it moves it transitions it's but it's so gentle it's so gentle it's not just yeah. bang it's closed or open and there was moments for that you know like we had a storm that came through last night and believe me it was bang it was closed you know like yeah. that's why we do that's why we do houses you know like right. yeah we're not just camping we're yeah we're setting down and so yeah a good shoulder to the winds and you often get that experience when you're on the site early on is, damn, these winds really kick butt out of the West here. Yeah. And so you're looking for defense. You're, you're yes. looking yes. for some rocks to get behind, or you're looking for some trees, some evergreens that might break that wind a little. It's like when you go hiking and camping, you and you're looking for your campsite. Yeah. Well, you have to think about, well, where's the sun going to come up tomorrow morning? And where, if it rains, where's it going to drain? Am I going to be dry if it, it rains uh, and there's a gully washer? All those things, I mean, are part of, of listening a, to the land. That's something um, we, we uh, myself and a group of others, um, around the world have a thing that we call land whispering or whispering and land whispering. And it's, you've just encapsulated it. It's, um, yeah. I, I like to go sometimes to a site and be there before the sun comes up on my yeah. own, on my own, um, before the sun comes up and then hang there off and on all day, like in the same space, but wander it, sit yeah. around, oh, eat yeah. lunch, do sketches, 
just search out the site and listen to bird song, get those wafts of what's happening from, you know, the smell and try and engage every one of my senses. And even if that doesn't help me draw a house, it helps me sleep better the next night. <laughs> well, that for sure. But it informs you on some level that yeah. it's going to be with you when you are drawing that house. Absolutely. It changes you. And so that um, you've informed yourself at a deeper level. That's valuable stuff. And then I have to admit, as a young architect, I remember just going through the process you just described and thinking, Oh my God, I get to do this for a living. Somebody paid me to sit here. People are actually paying me to do this right now. I mean, it's just like, holy cow, how did I get to be such a lucky duck? I, I so agree. I so agree. I, I, I think it's incredibly humbling to be yeah. asked to design anything for anyone that they're going to live in and make such a significant financial, um, you know, whether they've got a lot of money or a little money, it's a significant yeah. financial commitment. And they're going to trust you to actually decode and understand the site themselves, their futures, their all those things. And then, you know, we, 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 I want to touch on this one is, and then get them to that finished product in a journey of joy where there's yeah. going to be a million questions and there's going to be a lot of unknowns that they're going to have to go on faith and all that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And one of the things, you know, you hear people go, oh, we built a house and it was just hideous and we'll never do it again. We'll just always buy one. And I right. go back to that thing that we talked about, we touched on earlier, which was about the relationship between you designing the land, the client, and then the builder. And what right. that relationship between that general contractor, the person and the carpenters and the, you know, the, the, the stonemasons and whoever that puts that together and how important it is Key. to never be separated from it. Right. And that one's, a, you know, if we do work all over the country and we've done it, you know, in other countries too, but yeah. when we're, we like when we're working around Colorado because we have, kind of a, a cadre or a, a network of, of wonderful builders that we've worked with in the past. And so we already have built a relationship and mm -hmm. that relationship is so valuable and, and it's the best. That's the best. I mean, yeah, it's, it's good to meet new people and go through the process, but it's harder because it's like we're back to dancing or war. You're learning to dance and you're not always dancing real effectively. You're stepping on each other's toes. You know, it's like when you're listening to different tunes, it seems. I don't know. When. But, um, but only by going through it with them do you build the relationship that, that – and I think – and this I'm sure of. It's the more you can respect one another – and not go in there as the builder is the guy that builds it. And I'm going to be the designer. You're going to be the builder. And yeah. don't, don't step on my territory. You have to invite each other in to both sides of this coin. And, and yeah. be willing to be um, learning from each other. Willing and, dance partners. <laughs> really. And, yeah. and accept that we, it won't be perfect. But I'll tell you, that's, I think, again, and it's not, it's not me, it's, uh, 
I mean, my partner for the last 34 years is Sam Nishik. And this guy is so good at what he does. And, and, and he is technically so, so valuable. And what I love about Sam is I've seen him with, with builders and, and we're in a room together or we're on the site and he never comes off as the smartest person in the room. He, and he is. Whether he, whether he is or isn't, he, he's never going to be that person in anybody's so, eyes. And, and that's effective. Mm-hmm. It's both effective functionally in its reality, and it's also just to make space for the other person is so effective. And, 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 and therefore, you're not pushing against, you're not pushing an agenda. And sometimes you know that you think, well, you, you're pretty sure you're going to end up where you think you're going. Absolutely. But how do you get there? And so th- this idea, Adrian, of how, working with builders is I think it's, it's finding ways to work with mutual respect and really get their local knowledge. I mean, there's so many things. They're day-to-day doing things at a different yeah. level than we're doing. Yeah. And so to, to respect that and say, hey, what do you know about this? You know, yeah. give me your best idea. What yeah. about this material? What are the what what might go wrong? <laughs> I just I designed a house out in a place called Roma, which is um out in sort of western Queensland. And um anyway, I was talking to a builder out there. So the builder who was actually gonna build it was originally from the coast here. And mm-hmm. uh anyway, and a and fairly young guy. So it was one of his first homes that he was building. So I got talking to some builders and I was talking to a builder who came from out there who now lived here. And I said, oh, we've got a project out there. And he, he said, oh, who's building it? And I told him and he goes, oh, I don't know them. And I said, well, you wouldn't, they're younger. And he yeah. said, well, some words of advice. And um, I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah. So I actually arranged um, for them to chat just because yeah. The words of advice that he had was, if you use this as a frame, you need that thing wrapped the same day that that frame goes up. Otherwise, it's going to move in the wind out there. It's going to uh-huh. twist. Yeah. If you do this, this is going to happen. And this guy had been building out there for like, you know, 30 years. And he yeah. goes, just local knowledge. Yeah. And it makes such a difference. really valuable. And You'll never uh, be today. You never beat local knowledge. No, no. And, and, um, and, and then getting into design itself, I think we need to remember the lessons learned by building over time in a particular climate. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm struggling right now with a lot of what I'm seeing is a lot of architecture I know around town here even with no overhangs at all when mm-hmm. we know it's very hard to, to keep moisture out of buildings when you aren't protecting the uh, intersections of the wall and, and the yep. roof. And yep. so it's not like it's impossible. And so, but when we are just insistent on the picture, the image, that is not, that is not an architecture that's uh, vernacular or indigenous or informed by any of the past. It's just arrogant and it's insecure arrogance because mm. I, I see it right now that so many young architects want to impress their, and I, we've always been this, you know, I've done the same thing. So I'm not. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but you want to impress, you want to impress your peers. And so I want to be a modern architect. And so I'm not going to have an overhang on my building or that looks old and stodgy. Well, that's a limited sense of creativity that you make that decision. And so we need to listen to the past and listen to those builders who have been building for 30 years in a location and listen and look at buildings that are here over time and say, okay, what's working and what isn't? Well, what yeah, absolutely. And, and why was it done a certain way? Not just because it was done that way, yeah. especially once you get into custom design things, you know, and you go, well, why was it done a certain way? And then what, what worked about that? And then what did we change about it? Too much gets lost um, right. too quickly because of arrogance, I suppose. And because of the other thing is, is we've got freedom of movement. You know, well, we don't right now necessarily, but freedom of movement means that, well, yeah. you know, somebody can say to, to you, come and design something here. And, right. um, yeah. and you go, well, I, I, designing it's not the hard part. Understanding it's the part that's going to take the time. Yeah. And, you know, like that part of it, you go, that's the that's the, the piece. I've, I've got a job that's coming up in Victoria, which is, you know, a decent plane flight away. And um, they said, so what, what's your process? You know, what do you need to do? And I said, well, I come down there and hang out for a bit. Um, yeah. And I said, that, but that'll be on my time. It's not, I'm not going to charge okay. you. You're going to pay the airfare, but... I'm going to come down and just hang out a little bit on that land and I'm going to wander around the local area and I'm going to talk to some people. And I'm, I actually then first thing I did was go, okay, who do I know in that area or who do I know who knows somebody in that area? Yeah. Because I'm going to have some feet on the ground of some sort with somebody who's got some local knowledge. Yeah. yeah. The flip side of it's valid too, though, that, that the, that that's where modern design, um, mm -hmm contemporary design still has its place. So I'm a modern, I'm a modern designer. Mm -hmm. I don't just want to build traditional buildings, but I want to learn from tradition. I want yeah. to learn the lessons and, and not be stupid about it. And then I want to push the, I want to push it. I want to push and, and try things maybe that, well, we're taking a bigger risk, but at least we know what we're doing in the risk and mm. we're not being, blind and so i i don't want to say just build traditional buildings because no no that's no. not what we do Wait, i just look on your website that's not what you do yeah. <laughs> as but you I, say they're modern buildings but that doesn't mean that their history and their and the traditional and the um the information or the the, the way the site and nature informs it is lost Right. That's, that's yeah. never lost. And that's one of the beautiful things about you, like, you know, having your studio where you say like, it's a clubhouse, it's like, you know, a play place. And um, yeah. that passing on of that uh, aesthetic and that um, understanding of how it is, is yeah. absolutely magic. Absolutely. It magic. Is. It is. Hey, I have a, I have a last question. Okay. You've got one project left. I asked this of a few people. You've got one project left that you can do, and after that, you've hung up your pencil. You're done. You can't do any more. What would you choose? And you can choose anything you want. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I have thought that one through yet. Um, so I, 
But one thing that does kind of, it's interested me a long time. And as I get older, maybe it's, it sounds very dark, but the whole idea of death and the architecture of celebrating death. I, I was at a, an event a couple of years ago with a bunch of buddies. We get together each year because my, my initial bachelor party was so good that we've done it together for now 33 years. Oh, I love that. That's so awesome. <laughs> and, but here we, at this point, one of the guys says we're, we're, we're in Crestone, Colorado. It's a place yeah. where all these spiritual traditions are, it's, it's like, uh, I, I kind of call it a cosmic truck stop. It's just, it's out of the norm there. And one of the guys has moved there. And so we're staying in a straw bale house that Dominique Gatliff designed, a great architect. Wow. And, uh, and what he says is, well, tomorrow morning, we're going to have a burning. One of our neighbors has died. And we, we, had, we had an organization called People Helping People. And, and so it would be people in the community helping people who need some assistance. He says, now we have another offshoot and it's called people burning people. And so what they do is they burn the body and they have this amazing ritual out in at sunrise in this big circle with a cord of wood around a dead body. Yeah. And it was so beautiful. And I thought, my goodness, why is it that our culture so is afraid of death that we don't know how to really handle it? You know, uh, well, yeah, even if we're going to live to 120 like you, Adrian, yeah. we're still eventually going to be dead. Sooner or later, I'm going to, somebody who's probably not born yet is going to put me in a box. Right. <laughs> I would like to do a place that is about celebrating uh, this process of death. And because I think we do such a bad job as, of, of it. And so it might be partly hospice. And uh, what are the things that really could um, bring that some kind of beauty and logic? I mean, uh, yeah, somewhat like a Zen temple, yeah. but also could it be a, a high concentrating high temperature concentrating solar collector that we came from the stars and we returned for, to the stars by some concentrator that would just ignite your body. You don't need that cord of wood. We're just gonna boom, hit you with a beam of light here. So that's, that, that, that is awesome project. That and is I awesome. think it would be interesting form that could come out of that impulse. Um, so I guess, uh, I don't, it sounds semi-dark, but it's no, really do, do you know, like, it's, um, what it, what it says to me is, obviously, from, you know, discussing things with you, I, I go, you see the, the world, and I see it this way, but you see the world as being, um, we're here in this part now, but we go on to other parts of it, and so. it, it's a threshold. Mm-hmm. It's a threshold change. That's a threshold change. We go out on one and we come into something else. Yeah. And so why not have a way to celebrate that transition? So Absolutely. I'm work on that. I may be calling you. We may need <laughs> We might need to be able to work on that together. That <laughs> I, I so get that. Like, um, how do you how do you get this threshold change? You know, I get some really cool answers to that question. And I've had um I've had, I'm not going to answer that because I, I, it's never going to happen. 
<laughs> I'm not going to even talk about it because it could happen that way. Um, I had a guy, Jamie Jury, who um, is actually just doing a show in America at the moment. He was just, or he's just got back. He was shooting a show in America. He's a horticulturist, amazing guy, Australian horticulturist. And um, he, he talked about taking a piece of the desert where the land was worth, you know, nothing out there, right. out in the middle of Australia and turning it into a horticultural basket and yeah. also being able to have such low cost housing because the land, there's no land value right. and right. putting, you know, industry, when I say industry, um, craft industry and stuff like that in there and all houses being small, but, but modular so that you can add as your family grows. Um, and I, I, I finished the podcast and I, I, this always happens. There's always a whole bunch of stuff that's racing through my head. And uh, my wife said to me, well, how was that? And I said, ah, oh, I got to stop thinking so damn small. You know, he's, he's talking about changing, you know, thousands of acres of something to, uh, to, create a, a different level of um, community that right. is so in touch with everything. And, and I go, and I'm thinking about, you know, could we make the backyard look nice? <laughs> could we put a planter by the kitchen bench so that we could grow some herbs? Yeah. <laughs> You've got to start somewhere. You're right. Uh, that right. David has been a fascinating chat, man. I've so enjoyed it. Oh, so enjoyed fun. it. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with you. And uh, uh, I'm looking share. forward to meeting. I'm looking forward to meeting in person. We'll be there. I've got uh, a friend, and she just bought up in Colorado, uh, uh, in Gunnison, in Colorado. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, and be going and seeing her um, when I'm next in the states. So, well, then yeah. we'll definitely figure out a way to connect. Oh yeah, we will without a doubt. Hey, um. We'll post all your socials and all that kind of stuff on this and people will know how to get in touch with you and we'll uh, be posting this up probably in about a month or so, something like that. Or so. But yeah, we'll good. be in touch. All right. And I'll pull together some of the things you were looking for. Yeah. It's so nice meeting you. Thank Take you, care. man. I'm looking forward to the further transition on this journey. All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Bye-bye.